Welcome to the Disruptors Podcast. I'm Alexandria. And I'm Jasleen. We're here to disrupt the tech industry by connecting diverse job seekers with inclusive organizations where talent from communities that are underrepresented can thrive. Whether you're a job seeker who belongs to an underrepresented group, a tech employer interested in learning how to attract diverse talent, or a diversity, equity, and inclusion champion looking for resources, we have got you covered. Here's to disrupting. All right. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us. It is still morning for those of us in the the middle and western side of the United States and hitting the afternoon for the other side. So thank you for joining us all. Uh, Today we have my co-founder, Jasleen, and we have Gabe, who is going to talk to us about how to get a job in tech without experience. I'm super excited about this conversation. Gabe, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, this sounds very good. Thank you um, for having me um, on this. I'm very excited. Uh, I, I've been very excited from the time you told me we're going to have this conversation. So thank you once again for the opportunity. Um, just a little background about myself. My name, my full name is Gabriel Olokunwalu. So by a lot of, you know, most times it just I just go by Gabe. And um, I originally have my background from, you know, non-tech background. I started off as a um, data analyst, but before that, my undergraduate was nothing related to tech. It was related to like economics and you know some business, but I did more of the mathematical economics. So immediately after my economics degree, I got into the space of data. And then from there, I think a lot of things changed for me when I was curious and I wanted to learn more about how I could improve my data analytics skill and you know take a step forward into data engineering. Then that was when I learned about virtual you know computing and you know cloud engineering and then i find like um, cloud very um, interesting and i moved into cloud and i started doing a lot of you know um putting um uh, systems together and application deployments and in the long run after that uh, fast forward till now i i i learned how to work with like distributed systems and then working with like data sets i'm bringing infusing like data analytics with cloud and then you know, learning about data engineering and I, I got opportunities in that area also. And up until now, I moved into from infrastructure, DevOps, and now I am like a machine learning engineer. And I'm also like, of course, I, I recently just launched um, TechChack, <laughs> um, the platform that actually helps people that, you know, mostly from my own back, like related background that are not related to tech or people transitioning into tech to find a footprint and then find a practical guide and hands-on approach into like, you know, getting their pathway into like, you know, getting a job or advancing their skill sets, pretty much. <laughs> awesome. Because you started out in poli sci and then you advanced all the way up to master's level before you pivoted into tech. Yep. So I'm curious, what was it for you that led you into tech? So that's a very good question. So um, I remember when I, before I came to the United States, this was before 2012, I came here in 2012. So I was a political science student and um, I was doing some economics, but when I came here fully, I, I said to myself, I didn't like political science. I wanted to get more into economics because I, I sort of love numbers and I wanted to do a lot of um, things that had to do with econ- economic policy. And I wanted to do that up to my PhD level. So when I applied to a PhD program in 2015, I didn't get accepted, but I got accepted into a master's program in economics. So I decided to pursue that. And um, so one thing, uh, I mean, I had a professor then that um, advised me because he saw like I was really interested in, there was this R programming language we were using then to like work with logistic regression and some mathematical concepts. You were very familiar to people that did a lot of math. So that was sort of like my exposure because that's like a um, like an interconnection between tech and um, economics that I found, you know, how I pivoted into tech. So I, I was more interested in the mathematical part. And of course, I needed to write programs in order to get better at that. And I I switched into that and Python, and from that I got into data, and then mm-hmm. I ran, you know, towards the. It was the numbers, the numbers. <laughs> yeah, the numbers yeah. always. <laughs> I really appreciate that you have a non-linear journey into the tech space because I think there's so many people who do have non-linear journeys into tech. Right, I also have a non-linear journey into it. 
but it can be intimidating, especially if you hear these people who are like, yeah, I mean, I started programming when I was 12. And then obviously I did computer science. And then obviously I'm just a guru behind the computer now, right? I just know all the things. But that's not everybody's story. So I really appreciate your willingness to share your nonlinear story and the connection points, because I think that that's super important to understand that there is a lot of crossover and transferable skills from other industries in. Thank you so much for that. So when you think about like the advice that you want to give to career changers and people who are maybe on a completely different path and they're not even sure what other options are out there, but they kind of want to start looking, what would you tell them? Um, I think one of the, it's, there is a big misconception, like I have to be able to write programs. I have to be able to code to get into cloud. And um, fortunately, there are so many other roles that you can be in, even some in cloud. I wouldn't say necessarily cloud, but looking into like um, roles like, you know, project management, um, um, product owner, even some data analytics that are not necessarily in-depth into like writing codes. I think that's the first misconception that people need to get out of the way and not get intimidated by, you know, seeing all of these black screens and like looking like ACA screen and all that. It's, I mean, for me, I, I went through that. So my advice is always, um, to find what you have the passion for, like what you naturally love to do and um, find the best opportunity in that area. And what I have done in the past is um, I, because I have moved from different spaces. I've moved from data analytics. I've moved into machine learning. I mean, machine learning, I've moved into cloud computing, um, data engineering, and some, a lot of DevOps and some security even. And I, I could say for a fact that curiosity is one of the, most important thing to have if you're in tech, if you're curious and you have the right community of people around you and um, that you can actually bounce off ideas of. That's like a very you know important strategy to sort of like get yourself um, started. And every other thing will come from there. And you don't have to know a whole bunch of things because a lot of things are interconnected in tech. And mm-hmm. you, know, you just have to find the right path and then follow that. Yeah. I really like that. And Jocelyn, I think you also have some interesting advice for career pivoters and like thinking about that value-based pathing. Uh, Would you like to share a little bit about that? Because I think that that's super important for people to think about. Absolutely. So I love, Gabe, that you're talking about passion because it's really about what we care about. What are the problems that we really are passionate about solving? And one of the questions I had for you is really... So for a lot of the people that come to me, they don't know what their passion is. And so often some of the advice I give them is, okay, let's elicit some of your values. What do you really care about? What really breaks your heart even in the world? And we don't often think about that when we're approaching tech, like what these, all of the tech that we're creating is, has to exist for a reason. It has to be solving a pain point. And so where you can really align yourself to the pain point that you're solving, but you still are really good at and skilled at the area that you're applying to, that will help. So uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Gabe, is that, you know, for someone who doesn't have the experience and they don't know even where to start or where to begin, what are some of the specific entry points that they can even start to research and think about what these problems are that they would be solving or what kind of work they would be doing? Um, this is a very good question, especially from the from the viewpoint of like an entry point. I think that is like the biggest challenge. And that's something like I have spent like years training people and then seeing them, you know, transition from that. There's a very big gap between the time you finish your training and you land your first opportunity because um, not every employer is ready as the bandwidth of time to give an entry level um, candidate a chance to sort of like start up. So what I always advise and what I think has worked over time is um, I've seen a lot of people that are new into tech or that have completed a training looking for the first job. But when I ask them about questions like what have you done? Like what project have you done independently or with a team on your own? Um, I don't see a lot of positive answers with regards to that. I see a lot of people saying, you know, I, I'm just looking to learn on the job. And it's like, for me, I believe preparation has to meet opportunity or opportunity has to meet preparation. So it's like, even if an employer is willing to give you a chance, you have to be able to have a portfolio, like a record of past projects you've worked on and also willing to take maybe pay cuts. I've, I've done it in the past. I mean, depending on the candidate's preference, I always say, look, 
Um, if you currently work within an organization right now and you're transitioning, the first thing you might want to do is find an immediate opportunity within the organization you're in, regardless of what you're currently doing, and seek the opportunity first. Then if nothing is coming positive from there, what you want to start doing is to start looking around into small businesses. So that's what I have been doing over the past um, couple of months now. I've been connecting with small businesses that need people to help them out, not necessarily working crazy hours, but if they can have like some sort of, you know, um, agreement about, oh, you want me to pay you a stipend to help me on a part-time basis at your will, just to get the experience. And um, eventually you can find something to move on to, right. to get the hands-on part going. So that's something yeah. I have. And what are some of the specific roles that a lot of businesses are looking for right now? Because it's hard for a job seeker to really predict, and especially in the climate that we're in now with layoffs, people want to, they want job security as well. It's not just about aligning your strengths and your passions, but where's the future of tactical? And so when we're talking about building a portfolio, what kind of roles can people expect to be applying this portfolio to? Because I hear about a lot of roles that, um, don't necessarily require a tech background, like Scrum Master, or um, you know, sometimes people are, are are asking, "Can I apply for this program manager, project manager role without any experience in tech?" Um, where do you see, like, if we were to really pinpoint some of the specific roles that people can start to research, what would those roles be? So, in my um, experience and in my in the in the journey of people I, I have worked with that I have seen, so. A lot of it also has to do with the network of um, people you have around you. So mm -hmm. I always like leverage my internet network. Like I'm the guy that goes around on LinkedIn, find new connections that are relevant to what I am doing. And I shoot them a message like, hey, um, I have I have people that, you know, if, in case you need people that, you know, you're trying to get help doing something like a volunteer program and you need people to sort of like help you in the areas. For example, um, project management and Scrum, like being a Scrum master, there are a lot of um, interconnections. I don't know the exact difference because it's not my area, but I know there are a lot of interconnections there. And there are small businesses or even medium-sized businesses that are looking for people. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be like the... Because one thing I've seen about project management in my own current startup, I have someone who is a project manager that I brought on board immediately after he finished training somewhere. And one of the biggest things that I see him doing, he asks a lot of questions. And that has actually improved um, his performance over time. And he's, he's now beginning to tie the things he has learned into actually doing them in real life. So I, I, I always say um, reaching out to like leveraging the connections you have. And even if it's not your direct connections, you can still talk to people that know other people. There's always the chain one way or the other. I think um, breaking out of that and not having, and there's also the idea of um, imposter syndrome <laughs> because everyone thinks because you see a role that is being posted, you cannot necessarily apply. And this as I, I was speaking to a mentee like a few months ago, I, I, I was saying, you know, you can, you can find a data analyst role. If you don't necessarily qualify, you can still give it a shot. And what can happen is that they can probably review your resume and say, look, you don't even meet this requirement, but we probably have something coming and you can probably be in their record and sort of like stay at the top of, of that. And the same applies to all of the other fields like cloud and, you know, um, data analysis and, and all that and um, software. So I think I want to hop in and answer your question a little bit more specifically because Gabe is coming out of the dev side of things and the machine learning side of things. So he's a little bit heavy, more data and engineering. So some of those non-technical roles that you're asking about would be like customer success. So you can come in pretty easily in customer success if you're willing to do sales and do outreach and connect in that way. Uh, Scrum Master is a good one. There's also agile coaches once you get a little bit further up. Program manager, product manager, there are junior your roles for those. And that there's some interesting overlap, I think, if you come out of project management from other industries, specifically if you're coming out of other fast-paced industries like hospitals or the airlines would be another good example of that. Um, teaching even any of those very heavy organizational skills have lots of transference in. Uh, other ones that I think can be interesting, executive assistant. And I think that that is one that is highly overlooked as a very valuable way in 
into an industry because it doesn't, it's like, oh, I'm a secretary. Like, first of all, there's nothing wrong with being a secretary or being an administrative assistant. But second of all, you are right there at the C level. You get to see everything that is happening in the business and you get to be able to see, oh, this could be really interesting over here or over here. And I want to be maybe in this support role. Um, other ways in could be in through the HR or marketing or finance department because tech companies, they have the same departments as non-tech companies do. Sure. So there's ways that you can pivot in and start building that network that Gabe is talking about to even explore if you might want to dive into programming yeah. or dive into data analytics. You never know. And it's always changing. Like there are jobs that are like real jobs right now, like 3D engineers that didn't exist two years ago. Yeah. Like there are people building things for the metaverse. That wasn't a thing that anybody yeah, was doing exactly. in recent history. So yeah. I think those are some specifics. I love that because it's really about the work. It's not about the title. And right. that's why I tell people, okay, start with the title. Know what you're looking for. Go and research those jobs in different sectors and different businesses and understand what the problem is you're solving. Understand the strengths and the skills you need to bring because that is the important piece. And I think we often get sort of distracted, you know, this shiny object syndrome in tech, especially it's like you want to work for a big tech company. And so you look at those common roles that, the, at, you know, the entry points and, you know, we follow that traditional linear path and we're all great examples of people who haven't followed that linear path because we were able to understand what our passions were what our strengths were and really what where we where those lend themselves to solving the world's problems not just the ones today but the ones like you said there's going to be new skills that we're going to have to learn so it's about the work and learning the skills that'll come mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a question that actually just came up on the LinkedIn. So networking can be hard for introverts. What do you all recommend for those who don't enjoy it? So I am myself an introvert and I get it, right? Like walking into a room full of people and you're just like, okay, I'm going to be a turtle in my shell now because no, thank you. But I personally find that one-on-one -on -one conversations are highly enjoyable for me. I enjoy connecting with people on a one-on-one -on -one basis and just being in curiosity about them and being able to learn. And so finding what networking works for you is what I would say is important, right? Networking is a blanket term that has a lot of prescriptions attached to it that don't have to be true. Networking can look like what Gabe said, just reaching out on LinkedIn and saying, hey, would you mind chatting with me about this? You can have a phone call or a Zoom chat or just like an asynchronous exchange and learn a lot about somebody. That's networking. It doesn't have to be a giant in-person networking event that you go to. So thinking about what interactions do I enjoy with people and how do I optimize for the things I enjoy about those interactions and creating more of them. I love that. And I think it's a misconception too. Let's get away from labeling because yeah. we, th we think that introverts don't like people. That's not true, right? It's just not true. I'm an extrovert. I don't like networking because not in the traditional sense, I feel like it's because networking feels inauthentic. Mm -hmm. I think that's the main reason. It's because you feel like you're asking somebody for something without giving back. And so what I like to do with my clients is really look at your strengths, look at your passions, the things that you're genuinely interested in, the problems you want to be solving and find really creative ways to connect with people on it. Don't even look at it as networking. Just look at it as, you know, how can we come together and, and talk about this issue, talk about this problem, talk about this shared interest in a way that maybe you can also help them. Mm-hmm. That collaboration piece, I think, yeah. is huge. Gabe, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the networking, and then we'll get to the other question about how to network online and remotely. I, I think I personally have actually gone through this before, and um, I think one of the biggest problems people have when it comes to networking is like, um, it's really on like LinkedIn or any social media network to people that are um, interconnected with what you do is like, what if I don't get a reply back or, you know, I just get snubbed? And one thing, I mean, I, I, I went through that for a time, for, for a period of time. And I found out you really cannot control people's time and you can only, I, I try to do as much as I can. It's, it's like you're trying to market something. Not everybody is necessarily, you know, trying to have a conversation with you. So I just try to like, you know, try as much as relevant people that I can, you know, and 
probably comment on the things they are posting, you know, like get involved in the activities too and try to let them understand that you, that's another in, indirect way of networking such that you look familiar, not like you are connecting with someone on LinkedIn now and in like two seconds, you're already sending them like, you know, except it's depending on how you want to look at it. But I always try to not get worried. If Even if I don't get a reply back, I understand. I just move on to the next person and I keep finding as much people are related to what I'm doing as I can. Yeah. It's a numbers game for sure. Not everybody is active on all the social media platforms and not everybody yeah. is open to those conversations. Yeah. They just may not have the bandwidth for it. And it doesn't mean anything about you exactly. or your ask or that you're being a burden or any of those other narratives. It could just be they didn't see the message, right? Yeah. Like yeah, my inbox, do not check. Yeah, they don't check. Yeah, well, mine is filled every personal. day. I have to go filter it to unread, and I lose mm -hmm. messages in my LinkedIn same. all the time. All the same. Uh, so, best ways to network online and remotely. What are your your all's thoughts on that? Um, do I go first? Sure. Um, best way to network online remotely, I would say, um. Leveraging like the, the right platform. I'll give you a very interesting way that I have networked with people that is very unconventional. Um, you can go on Instagram and just put a hashtag of your interest. Let's say I'm trying to learn about, um, um, oh, let me say cloud. I could go on Instagram and search for hashtag cloud. And I'm seeing a result of a bunch of people that have hashtag cloud or you know, AWS cloud, and I can probably find ways to, you know, connect with them, add them as friends, and probably like some of their posts, comment on, on them, and then start reaching out to them and, you know, asking them questions about. Another thing is that the, the way you ask a question also matters. Like, I, if you see, so most times people have a presence, and um, if you want to network with me now, and I am into like training people or helping people get ends on project, and the first question you ask me is about what I am doing. I am very much more interested to talk about that than further conversations can come in, as opposed to someone directly coming and just, you know, loading like a paragraph of problem. I, I might feel a little overwhelmed to answer and I may take a little time, but it's like, you know, that's one way I found that works, you know, that inconventional way and then maybe LinkedIn and, you know, all of the, you know, media. Well, I can say that that does work because that's how we got connected. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's interesting that you say that because when you say how you ask it is so important and it comes to the authenticity again, like really, why are you connecting with this person? Because if you're simply playing a numbers game, there's a psychological phenomenon called diffusion of responsibility. And I won't give the context because it's kind of violent in where they where they studied this. But um, basically, what they learned is that if if you think if, if it looks like this email has gone to 100 people and you just copy pasted, the person who's receiving doesn't doesn't feel that responsible because they know you're playing a numbers game. They know that someone else is going to reply to you. But when you connect with them on a personal level and you know that that person on the other end has looked at your profile and there's something about your work history or your experience that really intrigues them and you can see that they've there's a, a, a really authentic connection there, you're more likely to respond. I know I am because, you know, you get those cold emails all the time that sometimes they just sound like a sales pitch or they just sound like, like really just be vulnerable and, and let them know like what it is you're doing and why you're interested in talking to them. It can be just as simple as that. I think like, I get lots of emails. I respond to some of them. I don't respond to all of them, but the ones I respond to similar to Gabe are the ones that are like, I can see that we have similar values, that we have a, a connection already. Mm -hmm. One of the framings that I use, like when I help people can, to figure out what messaging they want to send, and obviously it depends on what you're asking for, right? So you need to be clear about what it is that you're asking for on the front end, and not just this asking for a blank check of time or information. So I always use a framing of what, how, and now. So what are you doing how do they relate to it and how can and now how can they help right okay. so i'm looking to pivot into tech i'm looking at customer success roles i see that you've been in customer success at this company would you be willing to talk to me about your experience there right so they know what you're doing why you're reaching out to them and how they can help you specifically so there's no ambiguity in it yep. and so 
we have a couple of questions here. One of them is what questions do you recommend asking to lead to a conversation? Asking for information, people love to help, right? I love to help. I know everybody else does. And if I have information that I can share, I'm going to do it. So making a specific ask of what do you know about X company or what do you know about product management or what do you know about cloud or what do you have resources that you would point me to or how did you learn? Mm -hmm. Asking specific things and the shorter the response back from them can be, the more likely you are to get that conversation. Like the easier it is for me to respond to, the more likely I am. Do either of you have other thoughts on specific um, openers? For me to lead, the, I think the lead, I, I like the, to lead a conversation. What I just do is I, I just go through their timeline I, and see what they've been up to recently. And I just mm -hmm. send them a message like, I really love what you're doing. I, I genuinely find what I like about what you're doing and let them understand that. I mean, you have to like what someone is doing or have some sort of interest before you start a conversation anyways. So I always start, um, start with a compliment. I think everybody naturally loves compliment and they want to hear good stuff. So yeah, that's a way to sort of get you know, good attention. I would caution that just because it's a major saying, sales tactic that's used. Well, so I was to do it be specific. I really like <laughs> to compliment me on things that I don't want to be complimented on. And I'm like, you clearly did not really pay attention to what I'm all about. And so, yeah, so be careful with the compliment, but I, in that same vein is make it about them. Like yep. what is, make it about them, make it about something specific, like to Alexandria's point, like that template you gave, I think we should put it in the comments because that template was really, what did you say? The how, what how and now what the how the now make it about make it about them first and then the ask and the ask has to be very specific in that template i love that love it. Yeah. i'll put that in the chat um so we have a question that i want to address because i think right now it's super super important whether you are you've been in tech for a while and you've been laid off you're new to tech and you got laid off because you were the first one in first one out uh, we have somebody who they got their first position in tech that was eliminated five months into the role. How do I represent this positively on my resume? I would say put it on your resume and you're going to talk about it just like that. I got the role. Here is how I got to grow in the time that I was there. Unfortunately, my position was eliminated because of what's happening, right? Everybody knows what's happening. Yeah. It's not a secret that people are getting laid off. It's not a secret that startups are slowing down and the venture money is hard to come by these days. So just be honest about it, but be yeah. on the other side, always turn it around to the positive of what you took from the position, how you learned and what you're excited to bring to them as you're applying for that new role. Do either of you have other frames you want to add to that? Um, I think for me, I think I've been in this situation before. I, I got into a role and Yours was five months. Mine was like four months and maybe like a week. And I would say no matter what, in your next interview, never, even if it wasn't in a good situation for you, I never say any negative things about my previous employers. Like I always have um, that positiveness in me when I'm going into the next role. And most times if it's in tech, many companies don't even really care about how long you spend in a role because there, there are so many short-term contracts that go around anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. And to that point, I think, yeah, just focus on the value you're bringing because the biggest mistake I see people make, the number one question I'm getting lately is how do I explain this? But it's not how do I explain that? That was a business decision. It's what value are you bringing now to the organization and how does any of your experience, no matter how brief, lend itself to because the strategy of how they let people go doesn't matter. And I mean, in a way it does matter because what I'm seeing a lot of lately is people are being put on performance improvement plans at a time of layoff and they're being put on plans that they know they're not going to succeed because there's just too many struggles within the business that are out of the employee's control. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is a lot of employees start to internalize that and it becomes imposter syndrome. And then, so I think my biggest advice for people who are going through that right now, take some space. Like whatever it needs to be, work with a coach, work with a therapist even to um, take some space for healing because oftentimes the way 
you have been laid off has been done in a way that might be impacting the energy you're bringing to those new conversations mm -hmm. and to the new environment. And mm -hmm. so don't focus on the why or explaining it. Cause I get this question a lot, even before all these layoffs were happening with career gaps, the biggest mistake I see is people just go into the confessional and like, mm -hmm. especially women will do this. We think we need to be overly honest and explain everything. No one cares. <laughs> Like they just want to, they want to make sure when they're hiring you that they're making a good investment and they want to understand your strengths. They want to understand the fit for the role and how your experience Absolutely. transfers. That's it. That's it. And I want to push on something with that. If you are hiring and you're concerned about the gap, I want people to check with why. Why are you concerned about the gap? Why are you asking about it? And being really honest with yourself, what information are you looking for here? Because the generous version is you want to make sure that you aren't hiring somebody who is going to quit on you in a relatively short amount of time. You want to make sure you're hiring somebody reliable. But there's other questions that you can ask that get that information that doesn't push on something that doesn't. Right? Yeah, that's a good point for employers. Like, don't focus on that. Don't focus on that. It's just not fair because you you weren't there. So even if this employee is explaining it, in a way that was explained to them, it might not be the reality. And I've seen yeah. that time and time again, where I will go through performance improvement plans. And I'm like, none of this was fair. The way they wrote it, you were set up to fail. And I mean, I used to work in HR, I used to write performance improvement plans. So I understand what goes into a successful one. And right. I understand what looks like documentation as an excuse to lay someone off. Which I think um, that's a whole other conversation that we should that's have. That's a whole other conversation. So I, <laughs> I want to bring back the conversation. So yeah. for the question, just be honest about it. Your role was eliminated, right? Like that's that was outside of your control. There's nothing that could have been done about what happened there. So that's a really quick response. Yeah. Uh, if it was a performance issue of why you were let go, then you can talk about the growing opportunity and the feedback and how you acted on the feedback and the learning that you took from it. But it doesn't sound like that's what happened. Um, so I wanted to answer the last question about networking, and then I want to get back to specifically Gabe's area of expertise in tech chat, because I think it's super, super important. Uh, connecting with people who are in the roles that you want, definitely, and the companies. So why not both, right? That's my default answer is why not both? You're more likely to get responses from people who are in the roles versus companies, because most of the time those company pages are maybe being run by somebody in the marketing department or the social media department not anybody who could really answer your questions. So yeah. making sure that you're connecting with people at the companies that you're interested in, that's your best life for the connection. Yeah. So pivoting back to getting experience, because the reality is you can't actually get a job in tech with no experience, right? You have to have some sort of experience that you're bringing in to the employer for why they would want to hire you. And the solution that Gabe has and that what we do with the Equalathons at the Disruptors are two opportunities for that hands-on work experience, right? Everybody's coming out of these boot camps with the same weather app and the same calculator. Nobody cares anymore, right? We can all do hello world. Like, Nope, we're not doing that, right? So you have to have a real portfolio to showcase not only did I learn and can I follow instructions, I can extrapolate out and I can apply my learning to other projects. So can you talk a little bit about TechCheck and what you're doing there with the projects? Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for that. And I love the fact that you actually, you know, pinpointed on something that, that is really important for me. And it's the part of everybody can do, like we have people coming up with almost the same projects every time. And it's like, oh, we've seen this, we've seen this. And to the point that people even, people can even go as far as finding a repository that is public and clone it and then make, say it's theirs and claim it. So one of the things that TechChack is, we are doing at TechChack is that we understand all of these challenges and we know what a lot of myself, for example, like I have worked in capacity as senior, as senior engineers and I have mentored like junior engineers that come straight out of boot camps. And one of the biggest challenge I find is that whenever most of um, these junior engineers are solving problems, they lack the part of um, how to communicate like the, the 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 documentation of the problems and how they approach uh, approach the solution and it's more like they focus so much on the technical part and the collaboration part of it is missing and also like how to communicate 
your findings and your documentation to a stakeholder is something that is very important. So with TechJack, what we're doing is like, we're just trying to build projects out there. And how do we get this project? We have like, I have connect good connections with like um, so many industry professionals that I have mentored and people that we actually grew together. What I do is I, you know, on a weekly basis, I reach out to them like, are there any challenges you have at work that is not, that doesn't contain any information that, you know, that you can publicly share and create sample problems out of that or just have conversations with me on what you're working on. When I get that information, I translate them into actual business problems that will be fit for someone to try out such that whenever you are attempting a project on the platform, you are approaching a project that has been solved in an industry, you know, standard fashion. And another thing about it is that we are not, so a lot of um, platforms um, focus on like giving you the step-by-step -step explanation of how to solve the problems. So what I assume is that you must have had like a basic background in these areas. And I want you to come into the platform and actually try out the project and that will push you to ask a lot of questions. And that's where community comes into place because you can find other people, you can invite people to try out a project with you. You can also have that, that interaction with a team on how to, you know, we deal with approvals. And also when you document your solution, it doesn't just go out there. Someone in uh, within the team would approve and leave comments on what you can even work better on and, and all that. And in the coming, you know, months, we hope like people can actually, um, you know, have a functionality where they can they can click share and they can share directly with like you know any company that is you know looking to find people in that exact skill set. So. Yeah, I was posting the link for people to go sign up for Tech Check. Oh, so if people are interested in that, I think yeah. the the super important part about the projects is not only the skills, right? And like the practice, yep. but the confidence that you're getting when you're doing it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, every single project that you engage in, you feel better about your skills and you come up against walls. And really the, the biggest skill you're trying to learn in tech is your Google skills. I know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. A PhD in Googling. And <laughs> The vulnerability to know that you don't know everything and you're never going to. So, and so the comfort and the curiosity and just always learning. Wow. And I hear a lot of people, they're like, oh, well, don't you get exhausted always having to learn? Like, if that's true for you, then tech may not be the best industry yeah. because it requires constant learning and constant growth and mm. constantly being willing to be wrong. I mean, like that post you had the other day, right? Looking super close at the screen to try and... Oh, 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 yeah. Like, okay, well, and like today, I, I what do, I know nothing about computers. Clearly, exactly. <laughs> no, that's great. The building the confidence I think helps so much for interviews too, because then you start to when you're getting that real time feedback, you understand what people are looking for, and exactly. so just the way you frame your answers and and talk about the problems. Yep. Love it. Love it. Yep, I would say the other piece of most of these jobs that people are looking for, right? Like there is technical skill and there is ways to test technical skill. Like there's coding tests and there's right. takeaway things and projects yep. and like all of those things that, right? Like I can literally hit the things on the keyboard and I put the commands in the right order. But most of the time in an interview, they're really focused on how do you think? Approach mm -hmm. that. How, are, how would you solve this problem? Because there's some jobs that you're going, if you work for some of the big ones, right, you're going to get your project handed to you in the exact framing of how it needs to be. And you aren't solving for anything, right? You are literally just a code factory. But in the smaller startups, you have to solve that problem. They're like, hey, I need a button that does this. And you're like, well, how does it do that? Isn't that your job, right? <laughs> you have to be able to problem solve and think about that. And the interview process, that's really what they're looking for. How would you solve this problem? How do you think about this? How would you approach it? Yep. And just to quickly add to what you said, I, I, had, an in, I had a technical interview, like I think some months back. And I, I feel like that was one of the best interview I've ever had because I've always been exposed to interviews where I get into like a room and um, I'm being told to solve a problem. And when I cannot arrive at the answer, or I'm missing something, it's like, oh, okay, this is not what we want. Now, one of the things that I loved about that interview was the fact that the interviewer was telling me, this is what I want you to do. I want you to connect to this API. And 
I was running the process and I was even having a conversation with him. Like, can you help me check this on Google? And it was like, I love this. Like, this is what, this is how, I just want to see your thought process. I just want to see how you're putting these logics together. I want to see how you troubleshoot. So at the end of the day, I didn't end up with the right answer, but all of my approaches came up to like a 95% and it was like, this is exactly what I wanted. So I think the approach you mentioned is actually that your thought process, yeah. and how you, you know, think is important. I love that. What came up for me when you're saying that, Gabe, because it kind of leads into the next question. I don't know if we have time for another question, but it leads into talking about getting more BIPOC. So for those of you who don't know, black, indigenous people of color into tech and what some of those barriers to entry are. And so when you're used to a different like power dynamic mm -hmm. and when that power dynamic is activated in an interview, that can lead to poor interview performance. Mm -hmm. And so for those of you that are watching, that are recruiters, that are hiring managers, the more that you can kind of, you know, be aware of the power dynamic in the room and try to close the gap on that and really get to people's level of, because it's not about power and authority. It's about really understanding, is this a good fit? Like, is it a win-win situation, your skills and this job and our company and the values? Because if you really care about diversity, equity and inclusion, you're not coming from that old style of leadership of command and control. And like, I'm the leader, I'm up here and I'm just going to watch you solve the problem. It's like, how are you even in an interview rolling up your sleeves and, and, you know, personifying inclusion, really, you know, getting to So I, but the question really for Gabe that I have is how do we get more BIPOC talent into tech? Like what are the barriers to entry that you're seeing? Um, that's a very good question. Um, for me, from, from time, I think one of the biggest barriers to entry, I would say, is like, there, I mean, it's not something that is necessarily out there, but I don't know how HR system works, but I could definitely tell like companies that claim, you know, they are diverse in their talents, they're not necessarily like, you know, putting that into practice. Mm. But uh, and, and those are one of the barriers, like if you and... And it's like um, some sort of stereotype that is going on where, you know, people of color are continuously going through like the, the challenge of, you know, maybe the way, you know, they, that their thought process, which is not necessarily the same. I've worked with like amazing, as a matter of fact, um, when I was working with um, a fintech organization, um, I had so many, my current organization, most of our team members are actually people of color. And I've seen that grown in the past, um, there has been a big awareness in the past, I think about five years, um, even further than that, that I have seen so many black people coming into tech and, you know, um, Indians, like more people of color coming into, into this space. And the only barrier I currently see now is we ourselves breaking out of that stereotype thinking, oh, well, I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna get a call back anyways. Like, mm -hmm. I think we can actually break ourselves out of that barrier and also network more within ourselves and act as a force to you know to prove the workforce you know what what they've been thinking for years we could actually prove that wrong by you know interconnecting you know getting becoming part of like these organizations that promote like very very um big um um equity in terms of um the workforce as it's as it relates like people of color or like people that are at less advantage Yep. Mm -hmm. I think the representation piece that you're talking about there is hugely important, right? So talking about your job, if you are a person of color who works in tech or are one of the other underrepresented communities and really talking about your experience and then pushing on the status quo. And I think that that's where, like, that's part of what the disruptors is trying to do too, is yes. this twofold conversation, right? There's the top-down conversation of hey, you have a diversity, equity, and inclusion problem, and here's how you need to look at this, and here's how you need to push changing it. And you can't just hire people that look right or feel right. That's that's not inclusive. That's not going to get you diversity. But then on the other side of it, 
there unfortunately is an element of putting yourself out there, which is scary and it's hard and it's not all created equal and being able to support one another in those processes of learning and networking and being shown where it is safe and where it is okay yeah, and can expand your experience. Absolutely. It's hard. It's, and it's, it's really heartening to hear that we are seeing more people at entry level coming in from different demographics. A lot of the clients that I coach have been around in tech for a while. And so they're finding the further they advance, the more they're outnumbered. They're the only woman in a room, the only woman of color in a room or person of color. Usually it's women of color, my clients, but um, just understanding that when you look different, it's not just about looking different. It's a cultural, it's a you know, we've been we've been indoctrined into like feminine versus masculine culture, a lot of us. And so the way we show up might be different because of how we were conditioned, but also the way our behavior is accepted is it is different based on how we look. And so often when a lot of this sort of exclusion is benevolent in the organization, it starts to show manifest as imposter syndrome and we don't even realize where it's coming from. And so what I like to remind people when you're going into spaces where you are underrepresented, acknowledge that like not in a way to say, Oh my gosh, I don't belong here, but Hey, I am here and I'm the first in the room. And so I am going to be aware of those barriers. I'm not going to internalize them. Those aren't on me. Those are on everybody else. And and, and understand your core values and when you're going to mindfully disrupt, because we can't just disrupt everything. Um, I wish we could overnight, like we're trying to help that. But, but as an employee, you know, you want to be having a good impression and you want to be building trust and camaraderie within the team. So you're, you're constantly walking that fine line of, okay, when am I disrupting a pattern of norm behaviors in this organization that are not conducive to the rest of us? And when am I going to sacrifice a bit of authenticity for, you know, just to keep the peace? And, and so I just like people to be aware of that. And, and, but I love to hear, Gabe, that you're, you're helping more people with diverse backgrounds get in so that there is that representation. Yep, yep, yep. And I think like, platforms like this are important too, right? Like talking to people who have the jobs and talking about that nonlinear path in, right? Like it doesn't have to look the same for everybody. So yep. you sharing your experience, I think, is a huge value add to the community and conversation also. Absolutely. Thank you. So I want to open it up. We have a few more minutes. If anybody else has questions, y'all were super great about dropping questions in there. I appreciate that highly interactive audience today. I want to make sure that we address them. Uh, it doesn't look like the comments I added showed up on LinkedIn. So I will go add those. If you want to register for Tech Check, if you want to register for Aqualathon.com, we are we started our Latinx Aqualathon yesterday. It'll run for the next month all the way through December. Um, we have two tracks. We have our standard MVP track, and then we have an NFT track as well. So we are moving into the Web3 Aqualathons as well. Uh, so we're super excited, always looking for people to join those. We have room on the teams. If you are a project or product manager, a designer, a developer, um, this one I do think also has some data pieces to it. If you're interested in trying to build out an NFT, that's a super interesting track to just try something new. Do you have any favorite projects right now that you have going on Tech Track that you think people would be interested in? Um, I think one of the favorite projects I think people will be interested in is in cloud, which is like application, like this, this um, I started building out this roadmap for people and we are, I, I put like a list of projects where I think as a beginner, you should complete those five projects. It's and it's more of like application deployment, like mm -hmm. how to deploy a static application. That means there must have been an existing application that has been developed by front end or a back end engineer. And your, you know, the simplicity in deploying that application and then building complexity out of that to build like a bigger system. Mm -hmm. Because I think most people get scared when they see like crazy architecture and it's like, oh, I have to do all this. But there's always like a simpler strategy to mm -hmm. do the complex part. So I always like to go from the simpler one and they build it up and give recommendation on them, on them, you know, and all that. Right. So, the only way to eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? Start small. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah. Uh, if anybody has career questions or they need support looking for a job, please go to jobdisruptors.com to sign up. We have a Slack channel, which we support in there. Uh, Jasleen and I are both coaches. Uh, Jasleen focuses on career coaching. I do more leadership coaching, but I do also support people in career pivoting. I myself am a professional pivoter, came out of therapy, fell face first into tech. So completely unrelated industries in, <laughs> in every way, shape or form. We're definitely here to support you all and really thank you for joining us. Jasleen, do you have any closing thoughts? No, I think everyone needs to go follow Gabe on Instagram as well because I was checking out your content and it is, <laughs> it is awesome, very entertaining and educational. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll put all the handles uh, to follow everybody in the comments on LinkedIn. Uh, yes, I also agree. Gabe's Content is amazing. That's why I reached out to him. I was like, hey, will you talk to me? Do <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you have any closing thoughts for everybody who's here? Um, yeah, I think one of the things I always end up, you know, saying at the end of every conversation related to tech and people in tech is um, there's nothing that um, you cannot find on the internet. And um, there's no problem that is so complex that you cannot find a beat of it in Google. And, you know, that research part is very important. Like you mentioned one thing, if you're not ready to keep evolving, tech is probably not for you. So that's one thing that, you know, network people learn, you know, Google search, YouTube as much as you can. So many things out there. Yep. Yeah. I, I want to say just because like you're not interested in learning, that's okay. Like you don't have to be like... <laughs> Yep. Okay. <laughs> right. We are who we are. I mean, and but we're all learning all the time, anyways. It's just what we do with that learning, yeah. right? So, and choosing your learning and surrounding yourself with the people that are you're wanting to be educated from. True. True. Yep. Yeah. I know. I have a personal bias. My default setting is, but why? I can't help myself. Uh, I literally okay. all the time. But why? <laughs> but why? But why? Uh, Tell me more. I want all the context. So. Yep. I, that's my own personal, but I know that not everybody engages with the world that way and that's okay. So hopefully this was informative and valuable. Uh, make sure you join us next week, especially if you are in hiring in the C-suite uh, recruiting, we are going to be talking about how to get started with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we have a employment lawyer with us. So she will be talking about how not only do we get started with it, but making sure that we're doing it legally. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some very interesting conversations happening on the internet about that, that I would like to address and squish some of the nefarious sides of that question personally. Uh, so it'll be at the same time here on LinkedIn Live at 11 a.m. Make sure you register for the event and we will see you all soon. Thanks, everybody. Great. Thank you for having Thank me. Thank you. Good one. Yep. All right. Thanks. That concludes today's episode. If you want to help us disrupt the tech industry to increase the representation of diverse talent, please register and subscribe at our website, jobdisruptors.com. Also, please subscribe and leave a review for the podcast and share with DEI champions and diverse talent alike. Here's to disrupting.